the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. 2020 versus 2019, 2020 versus 2010. You see all the comparisons on a regular basis, looking back at the last 10 years, looking back at the last year. 2019 was a pretty exciting year for streaming. The streaming wars are, I think, very real. There used to be what were referred to as late night TV wars where you'd pit, you know, Dave Letterman against Jay Leno. It's kind of similar. What commands our eyeballs? Um, Netflix, Disney Plus, HBO Max. Those are the big boys. Then there's some niche players where if you have a Roku player or you just have some internet savvy, you can watch stations and networks like Crunchyroll, Acorn TV. Then you get some free ad-supported streaming TV services and digital video publishers uh, in the mix. And there's a lot going on. It's a little confusing, but they're all chasing advertising dollars. Netflix isn't, but I think Netflix will have to come up with a cheaper version of their service with an ad support. It's way too early for me to say that because we still haven't even seen the success of the failure of Peacock, the NBC 2019 announcement that, yeah, we're not asleep. We have NBC, we have Universal, we've got a lot of content, both in movies and television, that we've produced over the years. What they're going to show us is kind of a hybrid between Netflix and Disney Plus and Hulu. And they're going to do some ad-supported, and they're going to do live TV streaming. Interesting. That's a little different. Not enough to get, quote, quote, an excited headline out of me, but it's okay. So 2020 is going to stay competitive, and you're going to start seeing some consolidation. The middle part of the streaming universe gets lost, and there's a lot of good services out there other than Netflix and Disney Plus and Apple TV and HBO Max. So for today's market, you'll see a lot more bundling happen, happening to basically move to a free ad-based model. A lot of people have already made the move. We've talked about cord cutting now for five years. And every year, it seems more and more people are ready to say, I don't need that cable into my house. I could stream. Still have to have the cable into your house to get the uh, cable modem, but that's kind of different, right? Bundling can give a lot of the companies that are in the industry some cover by giving them easier access to audiences and ad dollars. And the ad aggregation, ultimately, of a microcosm of the crunch um, Roku's got a Roku channel. Viacom's got Pluto TV. Um, and they're very similar in how they all work. I, I'll be honest with you, during the holidays, I watch a lot more television, a lot more movies, things that I missed during the year. 
and it's pretty intimidating on i think i told you this story a couple of years ago i had my kids watch on roku channel uh, it doesn't really jump out when you say like apple plus or disney plus right apple tv roku channel doesn't really cha- jump out but my kids watched um alf and it had a commercial in it and i was i was, I was totally fine um it was a throwback that i wouldn't be able to show my kids unless i said hey let's pull up youtube because certainly i'm not going to be paying for old episodes of alf get the first season of alf with blu-ray commentary <laughs> not going to happen right so the middle class streamers are going to start to feel pressure in my belief in 2020 um, as it gets tougher, Disney Plus has got that first free year. You've got Verizon. Disney Plus has got a lot of free um, subsidies going. How will they do in the second year? How will they do as people age out of family programming and they want some more of what Netflix has to say? But what's interesting about all of them is you can have them for a month and cancel them. Unlike cable TV, we don't know the ramifications of this yet. It's like when we do gene editing and you alter a kid from a male to a female, we don't know if at age 10 they're going to turn off or if they're going to be socially unkind. So 2019 is in the books, 30% gain roughly on the NASDAQ. Dow Jones Industrial Average had a good year. The SP 500 had a good year. It was a good year all around. One company that had a bad year, Boeing. And when will they snap out of this? They had to kill their, not kill, not literally kill. They had to cut their CEO, not literally cut, but they had to um, relinquish him of his duties. Not necessarily because of anything direct, but because the culture needs a shake up. It's a great reminder, again, that success or failure starts at the top. And on occasion, this is the cut you have to make, even if it's the wrong one. Um, I, I think that's worth mentioning. 2020 for the Federal Reserve looks to be, um, I think, good. I was looking at the makeup of the, the board and how they're pulling it off, and it, it feels like we're not going to see any higher interest rates in 2020. From every year, they kind of change up who gets... Um, Votes, the voting panel, so to speak. Uh, it's a very, very, very big board. But then the people who get the votes are not a very, very big swath, so to speak. Um, so that's worthy of note out there. 2020 looks okay. And that's a weird thing to say because the things that we look for negatively on 2020 are a lot of geopolitical risks. Not necessarily interest rate risks. Not necessarily foreign exchange risks, but a lot of geopolitical issues are the top stories of what we're eyeballing. The new CEO of Boeing is going to have to not only navigate getting the planes back up in the air, but navigate the, it's become a little bit disturbing at how cozy they are with the FAA. So corporations have to manage the obstacle course, so to speak, as well as you do. Clemson football wins on the football field, but it can't compete on profit. 2019 always ends with the bowl games, right? 2020 college football bowl games are over. We start moving towards spring and baseball, the winter dying out. But man, Clemson football, they are all that in a bucket of chicken. 
but they only earned $7.5 million in 2018. The three other playoff teams all pulled in over $55 million each. Ain't that something? So LSU, Ohio State, Oklahoma, they're all able to raise money at a, a astounding pace compared to Clemson. And yet Clemson, hanging tough in the national uh, picture of you know best teams. But again, it brings up the question on playoff teams, virtue, NCAA, coaches getting paid. The uh, Clemson Tigers coach, a guy named Davo Sweeney, he has a 10-year contract, and it's for $93 million. That's a lot of money. Now, again, I get the sense that college football coaches don't sleep. They don't eat. They don't see their kids. They don't go to their football. I, I have that sense that it's all-consuming. At least that's the way they act when you enter, when they get interviewed after the game. It's like, man, we won the game of a lifetime. It's like your kid just finished elementary school. But uh, that's not a bad career. A lot of money in football, huh? In college football, a lot of money. I think in my lifetime, we'll definitely see athletes get paid in college ranks. I'm Rob Black, talking to all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Big seminar coming up. You can sign up for it by going to the website New Focus Financial and use the code Radio25 and listen to the commercials during the break to learn more. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Don't quite break out old Lang Syne quite yet, but it has been a happy year, a good year. S&P 500 was up 29.2%, closing out the year roughly. NASDAQ up 35%. There's a lot of holiday cheer to celebrate about right here, right now. 800-516-1220 to each calls on the air. What 2020 holds versus 2019, I don't know. None of us have a crystal ball. And so, although some of the times when you watch CNBC or Bloomberg, you kind of feel like that guy must have a crystal ball. He just said that emphatically. Treasury markets, stock markets, currency markets. Um, it depends on which one you were in, deciding on how well you did. 10-year Treasury is closing out the year near 2%. Not quite. But the 10-year Treasury, one of the you know business lessons I can easily pass on to a child is if you take a look at that 10-year treasury yield, that's what our government will pay you for holding the treasury for 10 years. And that's done annually. So, you know, 2% on a million dollars first year, that 2% comes out of the million, goes back into the million, then that 2% gets, like, it kind of compounds on itself. 2019 will be a year where we saw stock prices go higher. Um, but the difference between the price that you pay versus the earnings started to extend a bit. We're starting to get into more expensive of market unless the revenues grow faster in 2020 than we think, or the earnings grow faster. Keep in mind, it's all about perception versus reality. Uh, companies manage their expectations and, oh, gee, you know, we may only sell a million units knowing that they've already ordered a million too. Um, but it, let's say 100,000 canceled and they come in at 1.1, like, woo, we did well, we did better than we thought. Oil price is not really a huge story in 2019. Will they be in 2020? The United States struck Iranian-backed militias in Iraq and Syria over the weekend, and that's kind of a headline. What other international headlines will there be that can derail the stock market? 
the top 10 risks scaring Morgan Stanley analysts in 2020. It's a pretty fast list. Gene editing goes wrong. There was a Chinese scientist who was just put in jail for three years for editing the genes of a human being. We don't know the ramifications yet. Uh, we talk about how virtual reality and augmented reality could you know, seriously, seriously impinge on the development of a child. So we want the brains to grow before we use them. Like you hear the commercials like, don't do marijuana because you got to develop a brain until it's 25. So we don't know if gene editing ever goes bad. That'll be a story for the next 10 years. The Iran problem with the United States, our current um, presidency refuses to say anything nice to meet halfway or anything like that. So U.S.-Iran relations are, are at a pretty bad place. Will Europe step in and help? Don't know yet. Should the EU walk away from the nuclear agreement with Iran and bar companies from doing business with Iran? Iran would lose its last lifeline to the Western markets. Would that be enough? Other 2020 issues politically that could unseed the stock market from growth is more international battles on um, artificial intelligence versus artificial intelligence or cyber attacks. Cybersecurity is one of the first domains where AI is being used by both attackers and defenders to gain an edge. So we'll continue to hear about these stories and countries that don't have the U.S.'s best interest involved. U.S., China, Iran, Russia, North Korea are all the major cyber attackers. And I throw the United States in on that list as well. Um, you're going to hear more justification for Japanification, which was basically their society got older before ours did. We have a very healthy immigration problem of people coming to the country who want to work. And we also have, um, we had Generation X did their part of having babies. So our demographics aren't aging as fast as Japan's are. And as you age, you spend less money. And you also consume more government money. Populism is a big risk in 2020, whether you're Brazil, Chile, France, Hong Kong, Lebanon, Spain, um, and other countries right now. There's their position for sustained periods of, of unrest. Um, I don't know really what's going on in Hong Kong because I only have so much time in my day and I kind of limit it to investing stories, investing ideas, investing research. Um, I don't understand the human rights issue in Hong Kong, and I admit that freely. Um, there's going to be social movements. There's going to be political movements. There's going to be a lot of criticism against capitalism. There's going to be a lot of criticism against shareholders. We're already starting to see something in 2019 that never really existed before, flight shaming. Why are you flying to Hawaii? You can drive to Colorado for vacation. Wow. Didn't see that one coming. Um, one of the granddaughters of, of Roy Disney, the Disney, her big thing is on corporations using private jets. She hates it because it's so bad for the environment. The smaller the jet, the fewer the passengers, the worse economics it makes for flying. 2020, we're going to pay a lot of attention to the European stimulus. Christine Lagarde has taken over as the ECB head banker for Mario Draghi. She's awesome. I love her. I think she does a great job. I think she communicates really well. But they moved slower to lower interest rates in the United States. Did they move too slow will be the question. 2020 is going to be a wild year in politics. Um, how many more days till the election? It's less than 11 months, right? And then it'll be 10. Then, then it'll be uh, Super Tuesday. And then it's then the boxing gloves come off. China's got a lot of political 
um, landscape that they need to navigate. Economic as well. In the China-U.S. trade wars, China had to really aggressively stimulate their own economy domestically because they would, they would become, I guess you could say, um, addicted to American dollars, American consumers. We are the, the world's consumers. USA, USA, USA. Um, so 2020, political risks are the biggest risk for the stock market, in my opinion. Um, I'm not expecting returns that we had in 2019. Will there be new trade blocks? You know, Mexico and Canada and the United States negotiated NAFTA, renegotiated NAFTA. Will there be others? The United States has aggressively tried to court India to offset China. Um, and they're even trying some smaller trade blocks, like with Pakistan. So 2020, the last political concern that Morgan Stanley raised, in my opinion, was leadership transitions from the five major democracies, uh, U.S., U.K., France, Germany, all very, very important. But how quickly do we become populist versus political, Republican, Democrat? Capitalist. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and your money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. There's a phrase that pays. Beg, steal, or borrow. I'm a big fan of it. I want to get you to retirement in a way that I can. During the commercial breaks off and talk with my a uh, generationally different producer. Uh, I have two, Mike and Zach. And Zach, uh, how shall we say, is more of the millennial cliche than Mike, who is more of the baby boomer. Um, during the mornings, I don't talk with a lot of people because I'm doing research, I'm doing study, and I'm, I'm getting ready for radio. And even at TV, I have like just a minute or two here or there. But I'm always fascinated by the concept of people's approach to the economy towards the stock market. Uh, one of my producers has a girlfriend that he's not exactly sold on her spending habits. He doesn't really like them. Brings up the question of, is that a compatibility flaw or is that something you can overlook over time? I don't know. So we're all very, very different. But my goal is to get us all to the same place, retirement. At age 60, I don't know if I want to read the great books that I haven't read in the last 20 years. I don't know if I want to play the best video games that I haven't played in the last 20 years. I don't know if I want to see the best movies that I haven't seen in the last 20 years. But I'm going to have some sort of goal, right? So I have to fund those. So beg, steal, or borrow. Um, I put all basically all of my radio income into retirement. Um, I make glorified minimum wage, which is great. I love the group that I work with. I'm not asking for a lot other than maybe some editorial freedom to tell people the truth. And when there's a bad product, I can say, mm, I'm not crazy about that product. And they give that to me, which is amazing. Um, beg, steal, or borrow. You could save with your income. You can come out of school and become a, a nuclear physicist. Absolutely. Um, you're going to get a good salary because we need nuclear physicists for some reason. I'm not sure what, but we need them. Or, you know, again, for begging, steal, and borrow, maybe it's not your education that pays you enough to get to retirement. Maybe it's not your saving methods that get you enough to retirement. Maybe it's your credit cards. Um, credit cards are only going to add maybe 2 to 3% back from your spending into options for retirement. But that's not bad. And maybe it's a stupid thing like Acorns, which I really went, I got into in 2019. I still haven't seen my year-end statements, and I want to see those. 
because that's important to me. I don't like just investing virtually and going, oh, I'm good with that. Anytime there's a prospectus change on any of the funds that are held in an Acorns account, they email you, here's the prospectus. That's awesome. I want to see what their tax paperwork's like, because I made money this year by investing with Acorns. It's no surprise when the market's up 30%, if you're putting 50 bucks a month or 50 bucks a week or 50 bucks every two weeks, that it's going to round up and then it's going to get participated in stock market growth. I want to see what that paperwork looks like. But if I were to give you some ideas on credit cards that I have and why, sometimes it's going to change. Best for online shopping, best for online shopping is the Amazon card. 5% back on Amazon purchases. Close second place would be the Target Red Card. Even that's more of a debit card. It's linked to your debit account, but that's 5% off at Target. I'm not against that. I'm not against sales. It's part of my retirement plan. I'm not against rewards. It's part of my retirement plan. Best for no annual fee, City Double Cash Card. I've had that one for a few years now. Best for luxury travel, Chase Sapphire Reserve. I own that one. Not necessarily for luxury travel, but for all my airports, hotels, planes, and restaurant purchases, it gets to 3% back going towards um, future travel. Not 1%, 3% plus, if you use their travel portal, an extra 50% on your points. So I own the Chase Sapphire Reserve. It's $450, but it's worth it to me because it gives $300 on credit for travel. I at least travel $300 every year. And it gives the TSA pull and for free, which is typically $100. That's $400. Then it gives the 3%. Plus, it gives all sorts of securities tied towards traveling and um, insurance tied towards traveling. Best for cashback is the Alliant Visa Signature Credit Card. The best overall card, I feel, is the Capital One Venture Rewards Credit Card. Um, but I saw a report on 100-plus credit cards, and it gave a column on all the perks and all the positives and all the negatives. So I looked at 100 cards to come up with that quick list. Um, I, if I were to say a two that I have to have, it would be the Amazon Prime Rewards, 5% back, and the City Double Cash. The That's, you know, you, Double Cash is stupid. You've seen the commercial. Whenever you buy something, you get 1%. Back and whenever you pay off your bill, you get one percent back. It's not great, but it's easy. There's better cash rewards, um, but I don't like the rotating categories that Bank of America and Discovery use. Just don't like them. That's my thing. The Capital One Venture Rewards was my pick for the best overall card. It has five time miles on hotel and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. Two times miles per dollar on every other purchase, plus 10 times miles on thousands of hotels. Um, so it's a pretty easy way to get going. The first year, it's free. The second year, it's $95. There's no introductory APR. There's a $95 annual fee after the first year. But the annual fee is waived the first year. That's positive. 10 times miles at hotels is nice. Although my hotel card is an American Express Hilton Aspire card. Um, so I, I kind of lock myself into Hilton's with very few exceptions. Um, but yeah, I'm not the estimated card rewards after one year is about 988 bucks for the capital one venture rewards card. That's not bad. Estimated rewards after five years of just using your card on daily expenses is about $2,800. Now again, $2,800 on five years of savings on a credit card ain't going to make or break your retirement account, but it's going to supplement it. 
most of my rewards, and I say this for legal reasons because I can't say if it's 100% of my rewards, but most of the rewards that I use are, are reused on things that I spend my life with. Um, with the Amazon, I take the cash and pay off Amazon bills. With the city double cash, I take the cash. And When I first started it, it was a very interesting concept. I was like, I wonder if I give my kids, I wonder if I save all my credit card rewards and I give my kids the rewards when they turn 18 or 21 or when they finish college or when they get married or something like that. And I'm like, nope, I can't do that. Because sometimes, even though you get your points, the credit card company decides to be jerky jerk face and change the rules. So if your point was for one point equal to $1, they could say, well, one point now equals 75 cents. So what I tend to do is I take that dollar amount, pay off my bill, and then I set aside that dollar amount and invest in my children's future. Circling back on this whole segment of investing in the future, I don't know what it's going to hold. I can tell you that there's a billion plus more people on this planet than when I was born. And that means a billion plus more people wanting to search for happiness, wanting to search for quality of life, wanting to search for the perfect beach to surf on, whatever. It's a lot more competitive. Um, I out-earn my dad easily in career earnings. I don't know if my kids will be able to out-earn me. Now, again, I'm a little bit more on the high income, so that's a little unfair because my dad was very much so middle income. My dad was in the military. And the military gives you great retirement benefits, but they don't give you great pay. It's not like the DMV. They give you great retirement benefits, but they don't give you great pay. It's not like being an attorney for the city of Oakland. They give you great retirement benefits, but they don't give you, you know, defense attorney pay. It's part of our society. If I were to go back in time, or if one of my kids were to end up as a police officer or a DMV worker or an attorney for the city of Oakland, I'd say, that's great. Get your working years out of the way and get that pension. But you're still going to have to work till 60 to keep yourself busy and to keep healthcare going. I see a lot of police officers, a lot of DMV employees retired at 50 the first day that they can. And I always think that's not the greatest idea unless you've figured out what's coming down the road. And things do change down the road. 2020 is going to be a big year for Prop 13. Um, how does it hold up? It's going to be on the ballot. It's clear that Prop 13 is a dividing line for Californians. Those who have it before 1990 and those who have it after 1990 and those who get it now. Santa Clara just released an annual report, the assessor's office, and it shows across the board a smaller portion of new property owners are paying for a larger portion of the county's property taxes. So the people that are moving in now into homes that are $1.52 million are obviously paying a lot more of the taxes that cover police, fire, water, um, day-to-day operations of your local government. Now, the question is, Prop 13 is going to be amended or could be amended through a vote at the ballot box next year. What would that do to your home if your property taxes were to go up? Would it increase the value or decrease the value? 22% of property owners, those who purchased their homes before 1989, are paying 6% of the property taxes. 39% of single-family homes purchased after 2008 are paying 55%. So the burden is on the new homeowners in form of fees and other types of taxes. And shifting to the younger, newer homeowners, another way we're kind of hurting our millennials in this area. Prop 13 doesn't exist across the country. But one of the interesting things on if somehow we 
change Prop 13, if we tinker with it. Uh, Silicon Valley has been in 10 years of economic growth, so we've been able to keep up with the home price increases. But would your property go down 50% in value, or would it go up 100% in value? No one can afford to retire here in the Bay Area if Prop 13 is repealed. They put a lot of houses on the market. A lot of people want to be grandfathered in. So there's going to be some pretty interesting stories on Prop 13 in 2020. Don't get mad at me when I bring them up. I benefit from Prop 13, and I hate Prop 13, where my taxes only go up 2%, even if my home value is up 100%. That's crazy. It's, it's not sustainable. And it's, it's a horrible gift to pass on to the younger kids as they start their families and get into the big career years. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Big seminar coming up. I'll sign up at Rob Black Show. Use code Radio25 to get in for free. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. A couple things I learned in 2019. The term ghost kitchen. 2019, we saw fast food companies like McDonald's, Chipotle, really jump into the food delivery Grubhub world. When I say Grubhub world, like you throw in Uber Eats and anyone else, DoorDash, whoever you want. But where Amazon leads, other people are following right now. And delivery is part of the option, but also having the restaurant to make the food is a part of the option. I'll give you a quick example. I don't think McDonald's or your local favorite restaurant really, really wants to be, you know, experimenting with packaging of product and delivering of product. Even though they want the revenue, they don't want to pay too much to get that client because the margin is already pretty low end on the McDonald's of the world, but it's pretty high end on the steakhouse that's local to you. Both of them face the same problem. And one of the thoughts here is there's going to be a 2020, you're going to hear more and more about what's called a ghost kitchen. A ghost kitchen is, for instance, McDonald's could use a spoken hub kind of business model where they say, okay, instead of having deliveries from five different restaurants of McDonald's in San Mateo, we're going to do all the cooking at one, but we're not going to allow people in the store. We're not going to pay for our insurance on it. It's just going to be industrial production of food so that DoorDash can come here, pick it up, and take it away from us. That's a much better idea than training or retraining your staff at the, at the place that has people walking in. If the people walking in get bad service because an employee has you know, packaged up your soft drink and your fries, that client who came walking in who's more profitable than the delivery client may never come back again. So you're going to hear more and more about ghost stores, ghost restaurants, ghost kitchens, excuse me. Now, Amazon's got something called the ghost store. We basically walk in, grab whatever you want. Think of it as kind of a glorified 7-Eleven. But there's no cashier. You just walk out with it, and it's charged to your credit card, your Amazon card, or your Amazon relationship. It's easy to see why cashier-less stores appeal to retailers. It would allow allow retailers to employ few, if any, store staff. When you walk into an Amazon store, it's, it's weird to see. They basically have people who restock things. They don't have people that help you. So we're going to continue to see that. Prop 13 is going to be on the ballot on some sort of issue in California. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. A state that is 
you know, has very divided opinions on Prop 13. I'll do my best not to get into trouble by saying I hate old people because they pay less in property taxes than I do. I no longer hate old people. That used to be old Rob Black, five-year-old Rob Black. Uh, now I'm just, we need to figure out this problem. And I was kidding about hating old people in Prop 13. I, I get it. You got what you signed up for. But we need to change the system, and like people don't like change. Drink Baby Yoda cocktail, you must. Baby Yoda, you must. Um, the 2010s, again, we tend to look at things of this year versus last year and this year decade versus last decade. The 2010s saw many ill-advised drinking trends. But the trends that we're going to work with going forward, will it kill beer? 195 different craft distilleries in the United States in 2010. Now there's 1,500, almost 1,600, making handmade or artisanal vodka, gin, rum, and particularly whiskey. And they're starting to do strategic partnerships with some of the big old beer companies and the big old spirit companies. Then there's the celebrity liquor trend in the last 10 years that I don't know how to explain. Whether it's born and bred vodka from Channing Tatum to Bob Dylan's Heaven's Door Whiskey. Drake has Virginia Black Whiskey. Nick Jonas, Villa One Tequila. Ron DeGemary, Ron De Jeremy um, is spirits from porn star Ron Jeremy. So everyone is getting in on the craft spirits. George Clooney has one, right? And I don't know if this all got started with its show Entourage when Vince started, you know, figuring out that he'd make more money selling vodka or tequila than he could being an actor. Something happened. You knew I was a big fan of Breaking Bad. This year you'll be able to buy me the craft-free, gluten-free, non-GMO, corn-based vodka. You'll be able to buy me whatever you want because it's all being craft drank or craft created on a bigger level. Mixers. The rise of premium gin and non-alcoholic cocktails silenced the bar soda gun in favor of higher quality bottle tonics, less sugary flavored fizzy mixers. Low alcohol is a big trend in alcohol this year or in the last 10 years. <coughs> Spritzes and low alcohol session cocktails are a way for people to enhance a moment without getting punched with being drunk. 2019 was the summer of spritz. I know you're saying, please don't ever repeat that again, Rob. It was the summer of spritz with the fizzy highball type drinks. Um, need I say, White Claw. White Claw sells up 208% in 2019. There's bitters, there's Instagram drinking. I know you're saying, what is Instagram drinking? How will like Budweiser survive when there's Instagram drinking? Excuse me. Um, Instagram drinking is tied towards social media. Cocktails, especially with over-the-top garishes, where you're basically making drinks to take a picture. You may make a drink that looks like an aquarium. And then you'll take a picture and put it on Instagram. Everyone's like, I want to drink out of an aquarium. So how will beer handle the next 10 years when there's so many changes already afoot? Maybe I want to become a certified mixologist. Maybe that's my career in retirement, right? Bartender, Wayne Radonsky's School of Certified Mixology. That insight only makes sense to about 5% of the population. Wayne Radonsky's Certified School of Mixologists. 
become a certified mixologist in just three weeks. I'm Rob Black talking to all things financial. How will the Secure Act change retirement? We'll talk about that in coming episodes. Plus, its seminars come up. Seminars are free if you're a radio listener and use the code Radio25. Please don't come to more than two of them if you've been to one. It's kind of overkill on you and not on us. I'm Rob Black talking to all things financial. Check me out at robblackshow.com.